0: So we'll be at a John 15, as Pastor Dan talked about. We'll be concluding our message at a John 15 today. And like, like Pastor Dan talked about it, Jesus, our Lord, is preparing us to face the world. The world is coming. The world is here for us, but for the disciples, the world is fast charging. I mean, hours, hours away from the world coming after their Lord and coming after them. And so he affirms a vertical relationship, first of all, the disciples and the Lord. And then the, the next segment, last week's message, he dis- defines the horizontal relationship with the disciples with each other. And really defines our relationship with one another. Today, he's instructing us, our Lord is instructing us about our relationship with the world. So we'll be at John 15. If you have your Bibles or your phones, pl- turn to John 15. Where be, I'll be reading on the NASB version. So pl- let's rise as we honor the Lord with the reading of his word. This is God's word and what a treasure that we have that we could actually read this together and at home as well. So verse 15 of John 15, this is our Lord's words. For the world hates you, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master or Lord. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Verse 22. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, miracles, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. Verse 25, but they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Finish up here, 26 and 27. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth, who will proceed from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray your word will be preached faithfully. I pray your spirit will illuminate our minds and hearts to tell us more about your son so that we will love him more. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being attentive. And uh, as I start this sermon, what came to mind as I was studying the scriptures, just looking at uh, John 15, 18 to 27, all week long, it just hit me. We're at war. We're at war, and and, uh, a couple months ago, you know, my parents and Charlotte's parents, grandparents took us out on on a cruise ship, and you know we're kind of having fun. We're eating, we're enjoying one another, going down water slides, eating at the buffet, kind of hanging out, walking around in flip flops. And the it, 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 thought crossed my mind: This is not the Christian life, okay? We're not on a cruise ship. We're not about in a comfortable mold. We're in the actual in a battleship. This is what God has called us to do. And kingdoms and nations have fought. Since the beginning of time, his, human history, over the last 5,500 years, 14,000 wars have taken place. 14,000 wars. And, but in an internal sense, there's only two kingdoms. Only two. The kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, that's one. Or the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of the world, right? That's the other. And they're in direct opposition to one another. There's no, they don't complement one another. There, there is no mixing. It's either you're on Christ's team or you're with the world. Two teams, two kingdoms, two citizenships. And so today, I just want to just talk briefly here uh, about this and then how we're to interact with the world. Okay, what is our relationship with the world? The world will treat us a certain way, but how are we to respond and interact with our world? What is the relationship supposed to be like? So for right to the beginning, our first point here, let's hit the, hit these points hard here. The world hates the church, verse 18 to 21. The, God says, let me just re, reread verse 18. If the, the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. What, is this, what does Jesus mean by the world? The world is cosmos in, in, in the original language, and the, it says the world hates. Who's the world? The world's, in essence, people it with the world system. It isn't every man, woman, and child, but everybody who associates or identifies and with the world, this fallen, sinful world, and where their identities found in this uh, temporary world, where their hopes, their ambitions, their desires, their goals are completely tied into living for today. This is the world that Jesus is talking about, and this is, and this is take heart. So basically, Jesus is taking away the shock factors. He goes, okay, disciples, know that the world has hated me. Okay, so don't be shocked that the world actually hates you. And they've seen how they hated Jesus. They persecuted him. They called him names. They called him a blasphemer. They tried to arrest him. They tried to stone him a few times. They were in direct opposition to him. So they actually are first uh, row sheet eyewitnesses to this thing. So he's like, hey, you know the world has hated me and persecuted me. Therefore, don't be shocked if the world hates you. Verse 19, it says, if you are of the world, this is why. If you're of the world's own, the world will love its own. This This word for love is phileo, like brotherly love. If you have some kind of deep fellowship with the world, of course the world's going to like you. You're going to be about the same things. You're going to have the same priorities. You're going to talk the same. You look the same, smell the same, act the same, fit in, have the same goals and and values. Of course the world's going to love you, he's saying. But since I chose you, I chose you and gave you a different citizenship, I took you out of that citizenship of the world and put you on my team, gave you a citizenship with me, your allegiance and loyalties are to me. And you're going to act different. You're going to think different. You're going to look different. And the world's going to hate you. You're going to be a pariah. Pariah means like an outcast. You're going to be like an alien. Right? And and I know some of us in here know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of us are missionaries. Some of us have traveled around the world and seen this type of persecution. But domestically, some of us know. And, And in some sense, it's kind of scary if you don't know what I'm talking about. If you haven't faced some kind of hatred or persecution from the world, that may not be encouraging because you may be fitting in with the world, right? You may be like, I'm just, you look like us, you talk like us, you think like us, you spend your money like us, you spend your vacation time like us, you're about the same things, you look at the same stuff on the internet, Ah, you're one of us, right? Brotherhood. There's a worldly brotherhood there. That's kind of a warning there for some of us. And so the world hates Jesus. The world hates the church. We don't affirm the world. John 7, 7, Jesus says, he he says to the world, your deeds are evil. This is part of the reason why the world hates us, because we confront the world. Jesus confronts the world and says, hey, you need to repent. Otherwise, you're going to be judged. That's not a very friendly message, Right. It's very confrontational. That is engaging with the world, not to be to fit in. Jesus says, you know, he comes to divide. John fourteen six. He says, "I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me." When we live in a pluralistic culture, that means there's many beliefs. That's what that means. And when people like to say, hey, you know what? As long as you believe what you believe, that's cool. We're all going to end up in the same place, aren't we? You. Are you Something should be sitting in your stomach. Do I supposed to share John 14, 6 right now with this person in front of me? There should be some kind of restlessness. Lord, are you prompting me to share the truth with this blinded person? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus says in Matthew 7, broad is the way to destruction. There's a lot of ways, a lot of belief systems to end that end up in destruction. Narrow is the way or narrow is the gate that leads to salvation. Narrow. Jesus is very exclusive. And this hatred leads to persecution. Bible says in John 20 right here, right, a slave is not greater than his master or lord. He says, hey, if they persecuted me, your lord, expect the same treatment, right? They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And he's talking to the 12 disciples. John MacArthur writes, uh, uh, commenting about the Roman world at the time, because that was the empire that oversaw this, ty- this time period. The Romans also, he writes, the Romans also persecuted Christians for religious reasons. All right? They allowed their subjects to worship whatever gods they liked. In private, you could do whatever you want. As long as they also worship the Roman gods. Meaning when we gather together as Romans, you need to bow down to the Roman gods. You could do whatever you want in private. At home, you could pray your prayers. You could, you could show up at your church. You could do your own Bible studies. But when we gather together at work, when we gather together in these sports teams, when we gather together in our workout clubs, you need to bow down to what we also bow down to. But Christians preach an exclusive message that there is only one God and only one way of salvation, persecution, persecution, And what happened to the disciples? Well, they added Matthias to make 12 in the book of Acts, and all but one died as martyrs early. I mean, Peter was crucified. Tradition has it. Andrew was crucified. Others might have been stoned. Others might have been burned to death. Others might have been speared to death by soldiers. I mean, these 11 out of the 12 died horrible deaths early. So Jesus is talking, hey, they're going to persecute you, he, he's prophesying, he's telling like, to them to, the, to, the, to his disciples that they'll be persecuted. John, the one who wrote this, is the one I believe he lived into his 80s, and they even tried to kill him, but they couldn't kill him, so they threw him on the island of Patmos and ended up dying in his 80s where he book, wrote the book of Revelation. So they even tried to get him, but somehow the Lord graced him to live through all that. Maybe he was wishing that he'd, he would have died earlier. But what's going on today globally? I just want to give a, just a brief picture of what's going on around the world globally. Globally deaths are happening. There's a study that says approximately 70 million martyrs for Christ have, have died since, this, since Jesus makes his prediction. 70 million. Alright, here's, here's what's scary. Almost 70% of these 70 million have died within the last 120 years. of these 70 millions have died within the last 120 years. Over 2,000 years of history I'm talking about. So this is real. People are being tortured. People are being imprisoned for naming Christ as Lord, worshiping Christ. People are certainly being disowned by their family members. Domestically, we're not being killed or imprisoned yet. But perhaps you've experienced some uh, denial of some Opportunities, maybe uh, denial of jobs, perhaps denial of certain promotions. I, I know that happens because you're so, they could so, so clearly see Christ in you. We don't want that element with us. As long as you bow down like the, Roman to, like the Romans said, you could do whatever you want privately, but when we come here, you need to act like us. Bow down to our gods. Perhaps you've experienced some social pressures. You know, on the Internet, you've been called intolerant. Or narrow-minded or old-fashioned, you know what I mean, and, and, and so those sort of that like, get up with the times, perhaps you're experiencing those sort of things. Now, these things could be happening you know right now, I perhaps you know, you, you're not familiar with what I'm talking about. I mean, someday you never know. I mean our, our nation may go to imprisoning Christians and they start calling our language hate language. They could. Throw pastors in prisons and, and other faithful, outspoken people in prison for this someday, perhaps. You know, perhaps they could execute Christians someday, just like Rome did. Rome was the most powerful empire uh, 2,000 years ago, no longer. One thing that I, we, many of us foresee could happen is like tax uh, benefits being denied. Right? No longer do they treat Evergreen and other faithful church families as being non-profit. And they could apply tax pressures if you don't like, perform same-sex unions. I don't even want to call it marriage unions. All right? Or, or you, you, start, you need to preach more of an inclusive gospel message. Validating all other belief systems. We're not going to do that. Could happen. I mean, here, this thought came to my mind. I, I know we all love the fact that we're on this property Many of us have contributed financially and and contributed prayer to this property for years and years and years. And we love this. Little church from East L.A. comes to La Puente and gets this ridiculous piece of property. God is gracious. What if? What if the pressure gets so hard where they they put the pressure on us and say, unless you compromise, we're going to somehow foreclose on you and take this property away. Would you still be faithful? Would you be voting? Yes, pastor, let's be faithful to this. Our identity is not tied into a property, it's tied into being faithful to Christ. Right, these things could happen. Does that stir you up? It stirs me up, too. It's like, kind of like, wow, maybe this would happen someday in our lifetime. But remember this in John 15, going back to the part, first part of John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine. What is, who's the father? The vine dresser. And what does the vine dresser do to the unfruitful branches? He removes them, right? And just know that our Lord loves our church so much and the church globally so much that he'll allow persecution to happen, to kind of even vet out true vines, I mean, true branches from false branches. He loves our church so much to allow us to be more fruitful, right? There's a purpose. Even you may, you may think, oh, man, what's happening to our word? God is still sovereign. God's in control. Don't no, ever once think, oh man, oh God, you're losing control of this world. America's turning so away from you and turning away from our Judeo-Christian roots. What's going on? Right? You may think that. No, God is sovereign. God knows exactly what it is He loves his church so much, He'll do whatever it takes to increase our faithfulness and our fruitfulness. Okay. That's that's that could be real coming up soon here. Point number two. This one will be a quicker point here. The world is guilty of rejecting Christ. Verse 22 to 25, in essence, says, Jesus says, I've spoken the words to the people, the Jews and the Pharisees, and I've actually done sign miracles. I raised Lazarus from the dead. I turned water uh, into wine. I uh, fed 5,000 people with a a few loaves of bread and some fish. I I, I restored sight to the blind. He's done these sign miracles to prove that he is the Messiah. And you know this sin that Jesus is talking about in verse 22? They they have no excuse for their sin. He's talking about rejecting Christ. They have no excuse. The Jews and the Pharisees have no excuse for rejecting. They have a front row seat at who Jesus is. And they have this amount of light that, that they should have been responsible. And you will think, like, maybe some of us think, man... If I was back then, if I was there back then, 2000, I saw these miracles, I saw Jesus in flesh, my faith would be super high. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Jesus even goes on to say, since they hated me, they hated the Father. Since they rejected me, they actually rejected God, right? Right? this is he's making no bones about it to the to the Jews who are about to attack the world is about to attack and the world does reject the world does hate Christ and his church all right so that, but i'm gonna I want to spend a lot more time on this this third, uh, third and fourth point now, this is true the world has rejected Christ every non believer has rejected Christ and it is true that the world will hate and persecute the church Okay, and and I was reading this and I was studying this. I I don't know about you guys, but I was starting to knuckle up a little bit. All right, here we go. Let's go. Right? I mean, I I don't know about you guys. When I hear and read stuff like this, I kind of set my jaw for, all right, here we go. Here's going to be a confrontation. Right? But I want to give us a little caution. I think the Lord guided me in a certain way uh, reading verse 26 and 27. Just focusing on this section alone could leave us in the wrong mindset. What do I mean by that? It's very natural. Hear me now. It's very natural. Hatred begets hatred. Persecution begets fear. Like it's natural to like, yeah, you hating on me, I hate you. You're persecuting me, you could kind of get scared, right? Hostility of that nature could make you really hate also and be fearful of the world, right? Right? And, and, and this is what we're talking about. And in verse 16 of 15, it goes, I have chosen, appointed you to do the great commission. I'm going to just read Matthew 28 for us, okay? Because we could be so lost into like, man, that's the opposition. I just want to be in my own little bubble. I don't want to mess with these non-believers. They're horrible. They're wretched. They hate me. They persecute me. I'm just going to stay with my Christian friends or Christian community. I'm not going to think about them at all. That's my relationship. They're dead to me. Is that what God calls us to do? Matthew 28, what have we been appointed to? Uh, Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, the Bible says. This is Jesus before he departs into heaven, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of age. This is the Great Commission. This is what all Christians, this is what all disciples, true disciples of Christ have been appointed to do. So if we're kind of very like knuckled up all the time towards the sinning world, how are we going to make disciples? How are we going to love them? So the third point is this. We must remember that the world is our mission field. The world that actually hates and persecutes us is the world that we have to go out and reach for Christ. And good news verse 26 is we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me read verse 26. Whom the helper when the helper comes the Holy Spirit whom I will send to you from the Father that is a spirit of truth who will proceed from the Father he will testify or witness about me. That's what Jesus says. I'm not leaving you alone. Because what Jesus is commanding us to do is way too hard. It's way too hard. I don't know about you guys, I can't do this. How can I love people that are hating on me and hating and persecuting people that I love? That's impossible on my own. How can I not be fearful like, oh man, they're going to attack me. They're going to say mean things about me on the internet or they're going to say mean things about me and spread gossip about me in my social circles. You could become fearful of that. That's very natural to go that route. But we're called to instead of to hate, to love. We're called instead of to be fearful, but be courageous. Amen? This is what we're about. In the face of hate and persecution. All right? Therefore, we need the power of God. Acts 1.4 talks about, this is the disciples, before Jesus ascends. He goes, you know what? Don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit has come. Don't leave. You don't, don't start on this mission yet until you've got me, this Holy Spirit, indwelling you and giving you power. Matthew twenty eight twenty is the good news. Lo, I am with you to the end of age. That's the good news. If he just left it at, at uh, teach him to observe all I command to see you later, that would be horrible news. But he says, lo, I am with you to the end of age. When is the end of age? When everybody who is called to be in Christ is called up into the family. Whenever that moment is, that's it. Then Christ will come and gather his saints. And then we'll face-to-face be with them for eternity. So verse 20 says, when the helper comes. I mean, this is just classic Jesus, isn't it? And So as you read this, as, as you hear this preached, Jesus loves me so much that he sends his spirit, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, to care for me. How can you not love somebody like that? He comes and gives you a big job, gives me a big job, but by the way, I'm going to do this for you. You just got to obey. How great is our God? Jesus sends the Holy Spirit from the Father, and we have Trinitarian backing. The Trinity finances this whole mission, this whole great commission. The Trinity is the one responsible for making this happen. And it says he, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, will help, will testify or witness about Christ. That's his purpose. That's the Holy Spirit's purpose, to witness about Christ. That's his sole purpose, to glorify Christ. Now, I have this I want to just kind of hit, hit us where we're at perhaps. Have you ever thought, you know, think about your work. Think about your uh, schools, high school, elementary, universities. Think about your social groups. Think about guys you grew up back in the day with in the neighborhood. Has this thought ever crossed into your mind? Man, they're so lost, Right? How can they talk like that? How can they tell jokes like that? How can they watch stuff like that? How can they promote this stuff? You you, you say, they're so lost, right? Have you ever thought that? I mean, the Bible says in the last days, people will be lovers of money. Like, you know, you got relatives who are so greedy. You're like, man, my relatives are so greedy. They cheat me over. My own flesh and blood are so greedy. Or perhaps, you know, you co-workers you know, these guys, will, gals will cheat and do whatever it takes to climb up the social ladder or, or the work ladder to get more money. They're just so greedy. I can't stand these people. They're so lost. Or other business people, that, man, these business people are shady. They're, they're going to do whatever it takes. How about, the Bible says that they'll be, in the last days, arrogant, conceited, so vain. I mean, maybe at school, man, why, why is she so arrogant? Why do you think she's all that? She surely doesn't know Christ. Selfishness. I mean, maybe you have teammates who so all they care about is themselves. They, they don't care about the team. You're like, gosh, so disgusting. Like, coach, why are they like that? Why are they like that? Maybe gossip is a big deal at your schools, you know, like where the people are always talking about others. Maybe even in this church, gossip, has t- lies have been spread about one another. Maybe. Maybe which is painful because when Christians do act like the world, that, that's particularly hard. What about, it says lovers of pleasures, and the last season they become lovers of pleasures, you know? Man, sexually immoral co-workers talking about what they did the weekend, talking about what they're going to do tonight, right? Is that, is that your world? I'm kind of used to that, you know, quite frankly. Perhaps there's rampant homosexuality. I mean, maybe you got uh, classmates or neighbors who are homosexual, openly living a homosexual lifestyle. Is this the world that you live in? And I don't know how how this hits you, but, like, you may be, like, discouraged or you just kind of be, like, put off. Like, you know what? Let, Let me offer a different view here. I think what a great opportunity what a great opportunity. We get to influence the world for Christ. This is exactly what our Lord said would happen. The field is right for the harvest. It's perfect. That's exactly why I'm here. I think that's how we're supposed to think. We're not supposed to be shocked when non-believers act like non-believers. We should be shocked when believers or professing believers act like non-believers. But when non-believers act crazy, they're supposed to act sinful. The harvest is right right there for us to take. Now, all we have to do is obey. The Lord has set this up for for there to be an incredible harvest where you're at especially if I've just described your life with the community that you're a part of. Isn't that perfect? And that's a great thing. That's a great thing. And quite frankly, I miss that side of my old life. I mean, uh, the football world keeps calling, so I get to do chapels, and I get to do, like, um, meet up with other football coaches and stuff like that. I'm hoping for these type of engagements. This kind of keeps you going a little bit. Kind of like, yes, I see my purpose. I see where I get to contribute into the kingdom right here. It's all over the place. What a great opportunity. And true, we are at war, though, okay? I get it. I, I just said it. We're on a warship, right? True, we are at war, but it's a different kind of war. This is not a war where we use hate and hate and kill people. It's not a war where we use guns and... And, 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 and gossip and worldly philosophies and worldly wisdoms to help people. We don't do that. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 10. It's, it's to your right. A couple uh, books from John, John, Acts, uh, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Go to your right. Chapter 10. Paul talks about what type of war this is. We are at war. No, no, no. Unclear terms about that. We are at war, but we use different weapons, and there's much higher stakes than kingdoms right now. All right? John uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, thir- uh, verse 3 through 6. Let me just read for us, and if you have your Bibles, this is great that you can follow along. For though we walk in the flesh, although we, Paul was human and he walked in the flesh, We do not wage, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't use fleshly things. What does that mean? I do not, Paul did not rely on worldly methods. He didn't rely on his worldly credentials. He didn't rely rely on worldly techniques. He didn't use worldly wisdom, philosophy, psychology to help people out. These are powerless to free souls. It's like getting in a fight with uh, with a bunch of tanks. Armor tanks where bullets, big bullets, cannot go through, and you come fighting that tank with bows and arrows. Helpless. That's not the fight, guys. If you're drawing on human wisdom, some self-help book that you read, some human psychology, humanistic psychology. If you're going to, hey, uh, point of going to a, some kind of my identity, you could be found better in a certain sport or a certain relationship. These are all not going to help win the soul. These may be certain band-aids that might help a little bit, but they're not going to cure the soul problem. Let's keep going here. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. But divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. I'll explain these in a second. We're destroying the war, is this. We are destroying the battle, is this. The confrontation is this. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. What is fortresses and speculations? These are fortified lies, deep-rooted lies within our culture and even within the individual, lies that keep a person in bondage. These are lies. These are lies. Like one lie in our culture may be, I need to fit in with the culture. One lie may be in the culture, I need to live in a certain neighborhood. I need to get a certain degree. I need to drive a certain car. I need to have a spouse to matter. These are lies. These are maybe good things, but these are lies. Worldly philosophies, worldly religions, false religions, these are lies. These are the things that we're going against. It's a truth war. We're trying to eliminate lies and replace them with the truth of who Christ is, right? See, these lies, basically, what do they do at the end of verse uh, 5? They work against the knowledge of God. They deny who Christ is, deny who God is that's what the issue is at hand knowledge of christ is what's at stake here and what are we armed with we i'm gonna go to our final point here what are we armed with the world is our mission field we are armed with the gospel the good news this is what saves souls this is what frees people out of bondage this is what transforms aberrant lifestyles to godly lifestyles this is what restores broken relationships with family members and church members. The gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ coming into his kingdom frees us from all those things. Let's, let's keep going. Verse 27 of John. I'm sorry. Go back to your left. John 27. John 27. Verse 15. The helper comes, right, verse 26, and he will testify about me. Verse 27, and you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. These disciples were with Christ. They knew their Christ. They knew his claims were true. They knew those miracles were legit. They proved that he's Christ. You will also witness for me also. You'll testify with me also. James 4.4, i want to read this for us. And it talks about friendship, right? I think it's got to be in your back, uh, in the PowerPoint behind me. But it goes, you adulteresses, talking about unfaithful people, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? What? Pastor, we're not supposed to be friends with the world. What's going on here? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What does that mean? Friendship with the world means, what does that mean? It means that you hate the world system. You cannot be friends with the world. It means you cannot love the world system. That means you need to hate the ideals of the world, the values of the world. You cannot be about the goals of what the world is about. You should not be focused on fitting in. You should look different from the world. Don't worry about I got to fit in. Forget that. You already fit in because you're in with Christ. You don't want to be shaped by the culture. You don't want to act and think like the culture. Okay? It doesn't mean you can't dress cool and do all that stuff. and <laughs> You could do that. But you don't, you don't want to have your heart and minds programmed by the world. That's what this is saying here. But we're called to be friends with non-believers, The people we're called to love. Okay? Not the system. We're called to... Love the people. And I don't know if this sounds too direct, but I think we have an agenda as we're friends with non believers. And what is that agenda? Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go, therefore, make disciples. You are trying to evangelize non believers. In order to grow someone in Christ, they have to come to Christ. You're, you're armed with the gospel, you're armed with the gospel message. And basically, your friendships with non-believers is this. You're intentional about your relationship with them to evangelize them. You want to be friends. You want to be cool. You want to love on them. You want to spend some time, do some cool stuff to you. That's great. But in the back of your mind, you know where this is what the end game is on this. You're eventually going to preach the gospel to them. Let me go to Romans 10 here. Let's go to your right, two, two books. Romans 10, Pastor Victor talked about this a little bit, and I'm glad he did. Romans 10 says this. So let's talk about, well, you may sit here, Pastor Rocky. You know what? Well, not everybody's like you. I think you have the gift of evangelism, so it just kind of happens easy for you, and your personality is fit, so you could just talk about Christ all the time. Doesn't matter where you're at in, privately, from, from, from media stuff to, you know, that's just you. No, 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 no. So is that, I, and you may be thinking, like, oh, I'm, I'm just going to lifestyle evangelize the people. I'm just going to be a great, I'm live as a Christian, which is critically important, but my life will convict them and they'll become Christians through that. No. Let's read verse 10 here of of chapter 10, Romans. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news? Whoever, this is unqualified, anybody, man, woman, child, rich or poor, whatever ethnicity, however old or young you are, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen, and praise God. Then verse 14, Paul then goes on to say, how then will they call on him? In whom they have not believed? How's this going to happen? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? I promise you, just I go to Japan. most people have not heard of Christ in the gospel. Many people in America have never heard, know, have heard of like what the gospel message is. I could assure you that. I have a faulty view of that. And how will they hear without a preacher? This is not talking about a professional, vocational preacher. This is talking about us. Look at verse 15. How will they preach unless they're sent? Jesus sends us. Just as is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Think about the person that evangelized you, who spread the gospel to you. I think of Rocky Brown. Beautiful are his feet. Yes. I mean, dear to him. Think of the one that shared the gospel with you. Could be a parent. Could have been a spouse. Could have been a co-worker. I don't know. Their feet are beautiful, it says right here. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Verse 17. This is what Pastor Victor read. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Yes, we need to live it. No question. We need to live it so otherwise your words may be more hurtful. <laughs> I want you to speak, but live it. But when the Lord leads you, share the gospel in no unclear terms. First Corinthians 1.18 says, The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. For those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You want power? There it is. You want God's power? There it is, the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not bashful of the gospel. I'm not apologetic of the gospel. I'm not worried about being called narrow minded. For it is the power of God to those who's being saved. We have God's power. So, what is evangelism calling for? Okay, very practical. So, so we're clear. Matthew 4 6, 17 says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven's at hand. Basically, you're calling for people, non believers, people of the world, to abandon their old citizenship and defect from their sinful ways. Turn from your sinful ways. You're no longer a citizen of the world, no longer identify in this world but you're embracing your new citizenship in Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what you're calling people to, all right? There is no dual citizenship in heaven, right? I know some nations could have dual citizenship. There is no dual citizenship. You're with Christ or you're not. You can't be half Christ, half world. And this is what your message is. In essence, you're talking to them that Jesus' kingdom is better. Jesus is better than anything else. That's what you're trying. You're going to talk to people at at their level because you understand them. You know how they think. You know where their values are. You know where their heart is set on. You can say, you know what, that thing is pretty cool, but guess what? I'm going to tell you a better thing. Jesus, this is what you're talking about. So what is the gospel? I want to spend a little bit of time on this before we land this plane here. The gospel, in essence, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my king. All right, in essence, Jesus, who is God, is a holy judge. He will judge sinners. The Bible says, for all that sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody's a sinner. And He will send sinners to hell for eternity away from Him. That's the bad news. Gospel means good news, but you got to give them the bad news in order to understand the good news. And we're all sinners. Here's the good news Jesus, who is God, took on human flesh. He's the creator of all things, took on flesh. He took on human flesh. Think about it. The creator of all things took on human flesh and died to redeem sinners. Died to redeem his own creation, those who were his enemies. And Jesus says, repent, turn away from your sinful ways. Turn away from your citizenship of this world and follow me as your Lord. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And that's what brings us into this vertical relationship with Christ and this horizontal relationship with other believers. That's the good news, that we're one big family in Christ with the Trinity. That's the good news. You have to know the gospel. You have to know the gospel in order to uh, preach the gospel effectively. Now here are some words of encouragement Here's some essential, all right, essential mentality for evangelism. Some essential mentality for evangelism is this. Number one, what did Jesus say in verse, uh, chapter 15? Abide in me, apart and I in you, apart from me, you could do nothing. Focus on abiding in Christ, meaning you focus on your love relationship with Christ. Focus on him. Focus on Christ the Lord as your best friend as your greatest treasure, as your Lord. This is the one I live for. He's the one that allows you to live out this calling faithfully. Number two, I'm going fairly quickly. Number two, love one another well. Just like last week's message, the horizontal relationship, how the church loves one another will speak to others, the non-believing world, that we are his. There's a special connection there. And how do you love one another? Well, you minister your gifts to one another, you serve one another, you commune with one another, not just in certain pods. You you look to embrace one another as brother and sister. Number three, know your role. What do I mean by this? The church plants, the church waters, but God does the growth. Remember, God says, Jesus, I chose you out of this world. God is sovereign. And just know that God is the one that saves anyone. We don't have a hand in it other than game to participate and obey in, in, in the Great Commission. By just preaching the gospel. Know your role. Just simply do your job. Don't worry about saving anyone necessarily. Of course, we desire this, but just be faithful. Number four. This is to manage your expectations, okay? Because it, most will reject the me- gospel message. All right? It is offensive. If you do it right in, in love, it is offensive. It confronts their core values. It is offensive. Like we talked about, why it is the road that leads to destruction narrows the gate. Many go through the wide path. Few go through the narrow. Jesus warns us, gives us, manage our expectations. Most reject. And fifthly, I think this is important, otherwise we could lose heart. Be content in being faithful. That's the price. Be faithful. Well done, good and faithful slave. Just be faithful what God has called us to do. Okay? So I hope that's not too much. And that was a lot, but I hope that, that's, that's clear enough. We don't want to be just because the world is hating on us. It has to be a supernatural response to how we love them back. Now I want to leave us with one last word of encouragement, brothers and sisters. I'll turn to, with me with Acts chapter 1. So how did the disciples turn out? You want to know this, right? <laughs> when the persecution happens, how did the disciples turn out? Well, in Acts, it shows you. And I want to show you and show me again how they were energized for the call of discipleship. What energizes disciples? All right, let me read here. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to go to verse 11 here. Just a few verses. This is worth it here. Acts chapter one. That's just next book over. Chapter one. To your right. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's the helper. See how there's unity in the scriptures? And you shall be my witnesses or testify about me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea. And Samaria, that's kind of Israel, all this whole Israel area. And even to the remotest part of the earth, even California. Somehow the gospel message will get to Los Angeles. All right, that was remote at the time. Verse 9, and after, this this is what energized these brothers and sisters. And after he, Jesus, had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, the Bible said, they're staring, Jesus, you're going away. He was going, behold, two men, behold, two men, two angels in white clothing stood beside them. They said this. They also said, men of Galilee. These are the uh, disciples. Remember, Judas was from Jerusalem. So all these disciples are from Galilee. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? Why? Why? Let's go. Let's get busy. <laughs> right. This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven, what is he going to do? Will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into him. He's coming back. This is what energized their discipleship movement. They saw the risen Lord. They saw the risen Lord. They were convinced that Christ is Lord, all right? Do you know that Christ is risen? That's why we celebrate every Sunday as the Lord's Day. Every day is almost like an Easter for us. Really is. And second, the angel said he's going to come back and gather his people and call us to see how faithful we were. Does that not motivate you? This is an incredible promise that happens. He's coming back, yes. But not only that, he will call us to see how faithful we've been. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, for uh, the opportunity to. Preach on John 15. This is, there's too much. There's too much stuff going on there. That's not even half of what we could talk about, even more we could talk about. But thank you for the glories of John 15. Thank you that we could just see, Jesus, you in this most critical of times, the hardest of times is about to happen, and this is how you show your colors. Jesus, how can we not love you? Jesus, how can you not be our best friend? Jesus, how can we not just trust you? Jesus, how can we not admire you and want to become like you? Jesus, thank you that you prepare us for the persecution and the hatred. Father, I pray for the persecuted church around the world, globally and domestically. I pray, Lord, for these brothers and sisters to be held up. I pray that you would bring the persecuted church into our minds so that we could pray, we could remember to pray for them as you're praying for them. I pray, Lord, that we will have, as ever as she be, a greater conviction for the risen Lord. And, Father, I pray this greater conviction for the risen Lord will move us to love the people of the world more. I pray that we would just get so lost in the wonders of how glorious you are, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Allow us to reach the San Gabriel Valley with the message of Jesus Christ. Please use this place. Please use the people here to grow under love for you so that they could help grow the kingdom, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.